Good morning again to you guys at uh, Awakening Church and uh, Paul Burton here. And we're speaking again uh, from Scripture. Uh, as we, we get into, we're going to, you probably already had the reading, I believe, Galatians chapter 3, uh, 19 to 29. And the question we want to answer today is, why then the law? And, and in doing that, we're going to uh, just, just try and unpack a little bit um, more what we're talking about here, about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But on the way in, uh, I want to have a, read some verses from Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, I'm beginning in verse 24, about halfway through, and reading down to 29, and, and here's what it reads. And, and I'm reading this to give some context for, one, what I'm trying to do, and, and two, what I see could be happening in the book of Galatians. Both these books are written by the same person. Both these books are inspired by the Holy Spirit, who is one. And, and the same Holy Spirit who inspired the writing of Genesis is inspiring the writing of the Old Testament, inspires the writing of the New Testament. And, and so that is one. Remember last week, God is one. And, and everything he does fits into the one. He is. And so... So we, we use the Bible to understand the Bible and to help us uh, grow the picture. But really what we're trying to do is just open our lives to let the Holy Spirit do some work in us to grow the work of God. Because when God begins, God works to bring to completion. It's not up to us to complete it. It's up to us to agree with it, to work with it. Uh, but it's up to God to bring it through. But now let me read these verses because they actually sound like there's some things we've got to do. He says... He says, for the sake of his body, that is the church. So what he's about to say is, for the sake of the body of Jesus Christ, that is the church. Never forget that everything to do with church is also the body of Jesus Christ. These are not two different uh, entities. And, and sometimes how we use church is not helpful. Moving on, just think about that. Uh, verse 25. Of which I became a, a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. To make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. And the saints in this context is not special believers. It's all those who believed in Jesus Christ and received new life in him. To these saints, to them... God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles and are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Wow. Nothing else, just Christ in me, the hope of glory. Not my understanding, not my good works, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Listen to these two, last two verses. Him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature in Christ. Complete in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all this energy that he powerfully works within me. This is what the writer is saying. And in some ways I've learned in the last year or two or three that, that I identify with these scriptures that in this season of my life, God seems to say, this, Paul, this is, this is pretty much describes the call of God on my life, to wrestle with the word, to wrestle with the, the work 
of producing Christ in those who believe in him and bringing Christ to maturity in us who believe for the sake of his body, which is the church. So he says, I'm wrestling, I'm contending is the word he uses here. And uh, I'm struggling and different versions give different words there. Struggling, contending, wrestling with this energy that he powerfully works with me. Wrestling to warn everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. What's he teaching? The word of God. (coughs) This is the work of Christian ministry. And I'm suggesting here now that the book of Galatians is an example of this wrestling, this contending, this um, struggling. He's, he's saying, come on, Galatians. I need to set you free from some distortions of the gospel. I need to contend for you. And, and so what we, we see in Galatians is the setting free. And what he's setting free from, and, and I'm believing for you and I, the same thing that God wants to, is sending his word to wrestle with us, to set us free. What he's setting us free from, if I was to go down and, and read down, I think it's all the way down to, um, where's it God there? Verse 4 in chapter 2. I say this in order, he says, that no one may delude you with, plausible arguments, fine-sounding arguments, it says in the ENIV. And and these are not fine-sounding arguments about anything. These are fine-sounding arguments about stuff to do with being a Christian. And he says, oh, there's a wrestling to be kept free and to get free from fine-sounding arguments about things to do with Christianity so that the only hope we have is Christ in us. Christ in us, that it is enough. You don't need to begin with Christ and go on to some complex, fine-sounding argument. You find Christ, and then you grow to completeness and maturity in Christ, and that's enough. That's the story we are part of. And I've found, I tell you, it's kept me going for 40 years, and and I feel like I'm still at the beginning of it, and and it's just amazing today, and I'm, you know, it's good. So, So we go to Galatians. And we began to read in Galatians, and we got onto chapter 1, and we saw the introduction of a problem. The problem he introduced in Galatians chapter 1, we saw it in verses 6 to 9, is that there were some people who have been distorting the gospel. They've been preaching a distorted gospel, a fine-sounding argument, a plausible argument. But it wasn't the true gospel of Jesus Christ. It wasn't that Jesus is the hope in you. It's that actually you need to do some things to add to that hope. And, and it's not true. And so he's got this problem. And then all the way through Galatians, he is confronting the same problem. It's not a whole lot of new things. It's a whole lot of things about the one thing of Jesus Christ and being the hope of God in us. If we read, when we read on in chapter 1 and into chapter 2, we see that the writer, Apostle Paul, he dug into his testimony and he talked about how he came to know Jesus. He talked about how he took his, his revelation of Jesus, his understanding according to scripture of Jesus and shared it with the apostles, with Peter and the others, and they gave him the right hand of fellowship and they didn't add anything to his story. He talked about how they visited him with Gentiles who'd become uh, believers and they did not require them to also become Judaizer, Jews or Judaizers. Follow the Jewish religion only to believe in Jesus. And he talked about they talked about how in Antioch there's a time then he had to rebuke Peter to his face because Peter had started compromising the gospel. He had started believing a fine sounding argument. He'd started allowing himself to please men rather than just to live to please God. And if Peter needed some rebuke, why would we think that we 
are above the need for rebuke, that somehow our Christian faith has, has got so mature and sophisticated, we got so smart at it, that we are beyond needing rebuke. I'm not. I can go back in my journal and show you the rebukes of the Holy Spirit in my life in the last few months. I hope you can too, because he is working to grow us up into the maturity of Christ, which means there needs to be a rebuke. I'm a Paul. Trust me here. You're not trusting me like you should. You're allowing your heart to be troubled when I have said, do not allow your heart to be troubled. But, 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 God, that, 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 those things are troubling. He says, yeah, but trust them over to me and do not allow your heart to be troubled. Trust in me, trust in me, trust in me, trust in me. Oh. And, uh, but I tell you, every time you do, it trusts us the Holy Spirit and experience again the freedom. It is so good. He is so good. It's also a bit scary because I've got less control on things. I have less security in me, but I have more trust and he knows what he's doing. So he, he rebukes Peter. Then he goes on and he starts digging into some technical things. In the end of chapter 2, he basically comes and tells us that the law itself tells us that the law cannot justify us. Did you know that? In fact, the law leads us to death. In fact, written into the actual the actual law, into the law, into the Torah, into those first five books all the way through is the principle of death, that forgiveness only comes by the shedding of blood. And when Moses was given the law by angels on the mountain and he wrote it down and he was the mediator who shared it with the Israelite nation and inside in that law was the Ten Commandments and a whole lot of other instruction, but in that law was also the instruction about bringing a sin offering over and over again and every year they had to bring that atonement offering that lamb that took away the sin of the people both the sin they had committed through and done and the sin through the things that they had not done the times that they had not loved their neighbor as they should as well as the times when they had act hatefully towards their neighbor all those things were taken away and that the law itself said you can't do this you need the blood of the lamb to justify you and to cleanse you and to redeem you and next year you'll need it again and next year you'll need it again and next year you'll need it again and Hebrew tells us now Jesus has come once for all it is done and we never need to do it again so the law itself he's saying told us it could not redeem us why are you trying to get something out of it that it says it can't give you and he's arguing with them contending with them using the word wisely to try and set them free from their their, this fine-sounding argument that has distorted the gospel. And in there he brought this verse, Galatians 2.20, For I am crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in this flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Verse 22, 21, sorry, I do not set aside the grace of God. And if you get nothing else out of what I've got so far, take that verse Hold it in your heart and say, Holy Spirit, work the truth of this verse in me because this this is a, a foundation. This is what it's about. This is, we're going to talk about it again today. Um, I am crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in this body that you see speaking to you right now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You know, this is what Jesus is asking for us to do. John 14, verse 1, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. I referred to that earlier. And then he simply says, Believe in God, believe in me. 
live by faith in me and do not let your hearts be troubled you know this is possible this is the gift of God to us. This is possible. Um, you know, we go on and, and then he comes into the beginning of chapter 3 in Galatians and we saw him come to Galatians. So he goes to their experience and he says, come on, how did you start? What, where did you get the Holy Spirit? How did things start happening in you? Because of what you did or because of what you believe Jesus did? And, and the answer, of course, is, well, it's because of what we believe Jesus did. So why would you who started by faith in Jesus now try to continue through doing something right. Come on. And then, and then for a large part of chapter 3, all the way down to where we got now, he's brought Abraham in, and, and he's taught a whole lot of things about how Abraham and promise and covenant, and all these is like this contending, this resting, the using the word of God wisely, the contending to set us free from these plausible arguments, this distortion of the gospel, so that our faith is in the one thing of Jesus Christ. And, and we're just seeing this argument from God Galatians all the way through and, and we saw in this it came out that there's redemption in this and through through the promises of God this receiving of the Holy Spirit there's a promise of God and he starts talking about now that faith has come uh, that faith has come you know you, you can have your works or you can have faith that is you can have faith in yourself or you can have Faith in Jesus Christ. I am crucified to faith in myself so I can live by faith in Jesus Christ. This is the picture we're dealing with. And he illustrated this through Abraham and he brings to us this idea of two covenants. And, and he says this covenant with Abraham was before the covenant that God gave through Moses. And it has been completed in Jesus. So it's, it's after it. It completely envelops it. Get my hands closer together. <coughs> and, and I want to say one more thing about these two covenants. Because we talked quite a bit about that last week. And, and just go back and listen to it. Don't try and figure it out. Don't, don't, your mind can get a bit crazy. Ah, I don't get this because I'm not trying to spell it out. I'm purposely trying to leave it gappy and, and bitsy and piecey. Because I want you to hear from the Holy Spirit. I want to stir questions in you and, and, and just say things that st uh, spark a journey. And if you're not willing to go on that journey with God and get that revelation in your own spirit from the Holy Spirit, I know it won't grow and you won't fight with it and it won't produce its fruit. It, it's, it's not your faith in me that makes any difference, but when you've received it as a word from God in your spirit, the very life in it will inspire the fulfillment of it in you. And you might be surprised at how long it takes sometimes, but you also could be surprised at how quick it happens at other times because it's, it's our faith in the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So I'm purposely not trying to type you know, make this a really tidy, tight, teaching type message. And if that's a problem for you, just just grapple with it. Trust the Holy Spirit to be the one who teaches his word in you, not the preacher to be the one who teaches his word to you. But this this, this covenant, and we see this picture of this, this covenant that God made for Abraham, more than with Abraham, and, and he made it for Abraham, but he also made it for Abraham's descendants. And he's saying that Jesus, the seed of Abraham, was the completion or the fulfillment of that covenant. So I want you to picture in your mind what God might look like to you as a person. And, and 
and just have him there. God the Father, the uncreated God who is spirit, who is light, who, who out of whom all things were created, the God who is one. God the Father as a person. And then I want you to picture standing in front of him face to face, God the Son, Jesus Christ, God who came in the flesh, the Word of God who became flesh, and that he is God. And in him the fullness of God dwells, the Bible says. So we have God who is all God and who is uncreated, and we have God who is in creation, and they are one. Now I want you to picture them holding hands. Holding hands. They've made a covenant. They, they, have, they are held together by their faith in one another. Jesus lived as a man who kept faith with our Father in heaven and, and never broke that faith. And so that covenant is held all through life on earth, all through the testings and the, circ the circumstances and situations of his life, all through the, the betrayal and the accusations and the lies and the conspiracy. It held faith all through these things. It never broke faith with God. He always lived from heaven to earth. And, and he held that faith. And even on the cross, he held faith. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He held faith. In the Father. Now, now that picture is the covenant that we have. It's the covenant made with a blood path. It's the covenant of faithfulness. It's the covenant of laying down of our lives for others. It's a covenant. God and Jesus holding hands, never breaking them. And, and that's a picture, okay, <laughs> of what the sort of human uh, understand picture. Now, the question, the invitation to you and us to come into Jesus is to come into that relationship, into that covenant. It's like Noah built an ark with God's help, and then he invited his family to walk into that ark, and the ark saved them from that which came. So we walk into this covenant this relationship and we begin then to become part of it jesus is the head we are the body we become part of it all through what jesus has done and by the holy spirit's work in us so it's the covenant paul is arguing come on this is the covenant that saves you it's the covenant that redeems you it's the covenant that is your hope are you in the covenant? Are you in the covenant? This is the one thing, to live in the covenant of Christ and the Father. In their faithfulness to one another. In the blood part of that covenant. And so he's wrestling here with the Galatians that they would believe. And, and one of the words that comes up in covenant is promises. He says again, so covenant is about Faithfulness covenant is about lives laid down, about a blood path. Covenant is about promises. And, and that brings us two-thirds of the way through the message to um, <clears throat> the verses we read this morning. And, and Galatians, yeah, there we go, Galatians 3. I'm just getting out of Colossians and into Galatians here. 19. And just, 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 just try and help to bring some understanding, to help this wrestling, using the word wisely, 
to help free us from fine-sounding arguments, we're going to ask the question, why then the law? Galatians 3.19. So why then the law? And he tells us why. He says, number one, the law was added. Well, he doesn't say number one. He says, it was added because of transgression. So what was transgressed? Why was the law added? What was transgressed? What was violated? What was broken? And I'll suggest to you that what was broken was faith. What was broken was a covenant. That God had made a covenant with humanity, with Adam, and Adam broke faith. So where God and Adam were meant to live holding hands like this, Adam turned away. How can the blessing that's in God flow into Adam when Adam is not in a posture to receive it? He broke faith. He transgressed faithfulness. He transgressed trust. He trusted himself at a higher level than he trusted God. This is the transgression that came. So why is the law added? Because men have begun to trust themselves at a higher level than they trust God. And it causes chaos. It causes pain. It causes destruction. It causes so much damage in our world. And, and we know involved in this is also the deceiver, the enemy, the liar, the devil, who's working at all times to tempt us to break faith with God, to trust ourselves at a higher level than we trust God. And so we've got the law has come not to solve anything, but to limit transgressions. But what he goes on to tell us is that the law came, was added, verse 19, it was added, it came from a start point because of transgressions until the offspring should come. So it had a beginning point and an end point. The covenant made with Moses had a beginning point and an end point. The covenant made with Abraham for Abraham, sorry, not with Abraham, for Abraham, by God, with God, is eternal. It is eternal. It, it began in eternity and it ends in eternity. It began in God and his eternal places and it ends in God and his eternal places. It is not limited. It is unlimited. It is for all time, all people, all creation. Whereas the one of the law was limited. It came from until. So why was it added? It was added because there was transgressions. But if we go on down, go to verse 24, so, so the law was our guardian, it says in the English Standard Version. Guardian's a good word. And, and in the sense here was a term, a person that, that, that we don't quite understand. So this would be the person appointed to look after the, the estate of a minor until they came of age. And so his role is to be the guardian of that estate, to protect it, to, can, can, you know, to nothing is lost, so it's all kept intact. And to bring up that, to help bring up that minor till they're the age of maturity, when they can then be entrusted to manage their own estate. And and the word would be, I forget what the word is in Greek now. It, um, I could have a quick look here and, and tell you if you want, because I've got my strongs there. There it is, the pedagogus, from which we get pedagogy and teaching. But it's more than a teacher. He is the guardian. He is responsible for that estate as if it was his but not in the way that he can waste it, but in the way that he make, he's got to protect it, he's got to conserve it, he's got to you know, keep it healthy, keep it doing what it's meant to be doing until that minor has come of age and then it's 
the entrustment is move over to him. We'll hear more about that next week in Galatians 4, 1 to 7. So why was the law added? Well, he goes on to say that the law was also, in verse 23, not goes on, he also said it, 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 it imprisoned things until the coming of faith. So the law came because there was transgressions of faith that released destructive powers and forces into humanity in this world, and the evidence of these is without question. It released death. It released blame. It released injustice. It released cursing. It released pain into this world that God never made this world to have in it. So it came because of that. It came to limit those things, to, to restrict those things. It couldn't solve anything, but it could limit them. And it came as a guardian over the promises of God and the things of God until the fullness of time had come. So why then the law? Well, there you are. And then the next question he asked, is this law contrary to the promises of God? And he says, certainly not. So it was from until it has begun and it's come to an end. Its end is not a certain time in history. Its end is a certain time in your life when you begin to live by faith in Jesus Christ. Until you live by faith in Jesus Christ, the law is over your head. But as we read in verse um, 25, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So when faith comes alive in your heart, in God, and you begin to relate to God and live on earth out of that relationship by faith, you go out from, here's the law here in my hand, from being under the law to being above the law, because Christ is seated above, and the law is no longer over you from until the guardian can be removed because faith has come. I hope that makes sense. But this law, he says, is not contrary to the promises of God. The problem with the law was, and I think he says it in verse, uh, where has it gone? Verse 21. He says, the problem with the law is if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed come by the law. He said, you're looking to a law that cannot breathe life. And, and we talked about this last week. You, you cannot breathe life into yourself, not the eternal life of God, not the righteousness of God, not the power of the Holy Spirit life of God. You can't do it. I can't do it. No one can do it. We can put it together like a flat pack, but we can't breathe life into it. The law cannot breathe life. You can, you can get the law, keep the law 99.9% and still be dead in your sins. And still be dead to eternal life. And still be dead to God. Only the Holy Spirit can breathe life into us. There's no law that can breathe life. Abraham and Sarah had been keeping baby the natural law of how you conceive children for decades. And there were no children. The change that happened for them in being able to conceive Isaac was not that the law kept the law better. No, not that they, they had their you know, marriage relationship better. No, the change was the Holy Spirit breathed life into Sarah's womb and she conceived a son. The change in us becoming alive in Christ is not we keep a law better. The change is through our faith in, in Jesus, the Holy Spirit breathes 
his life into us and we come alive in him. See, the law can't do that, but faith in Jesus can cause it to happen. And, and so there's no law that can breathe life. We know that. Come on, stop acting like it will breathe life in you because you keep it better. And not just, you know, stop acting like you can do something better and get more from God. You can't. It's all in Christ. It's all by faith. It's all. So it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives me. And he says it in there, and he uses here a new word in Galatians. In verse 27, For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And this baptized is when you go down into the water, and he tells us in Romans chapter 6 that this picture of baptism is like going down into the death of Christ, that we may rise up and live in the new life of Christ by the power, by the life of the Spirit. This is Galatians 2.20. Understand baptism in Galatians 2.20. Understand baptism in the terms of the cross. Understand baptism in the terms of Abraham offering his son Isaac his Faith is trust in God that God could raise back them to life again. Said, this is the principle of faith. There's more I could say there about that. Oh, I'm not going there, but I want to just pick up one more thing here about this about the law and this change. And uh, there it is, verse 20. Now, before faith came, we were held by the law. Verse 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. It goes, on to, it goes on down. This, this thing, faith has come. And I'll suggest to you that what he's arguing here is that now that faith has come, we live by faith. What, what, what is this faith that has come? Well, the first thing this faith is, or, or the, the essential thing this faith is, it's the faith of Jesus Christ. That, that Jesus came as a man who lived by faith in our Father in heaven for every breath of his life on this planet. That faith was never transgressed, never violated, never broken. He never trusted himself higher than he trusted God. Now that faith has come. So now a man born of a woman, human in every way just as we were, Apart from, he never broke faith in God. He never missed the mark of trusting God. He never sinned. So this is not about sin as some performance issue. This is about sin as a breaking of my trust in God and trusting someone else, something else in myself, some thought, some feeling, some conception higher than I trust God at that point. Now the faith has come. And baptism is the picture of us stepping into that faith. See, I can't even have my own faith in God. My faith is that Jesus' faith in God would be alive in me. Now that faith has come. Now that faith has come. The perfect keeping of faith has come in Jesus. And I get to step into it. And trust the Holy Spirit to grow it in me from a beginning point all the way through to the end of my life. I am baptized into Jesus' faith. Will you join me in living your life baptized into Jesus' faith? Dead to trying to have your own faith in God. 
but alive in the faith of Jesus Christ and our Father in heaven. That's what a son of God looks like. He's the son of God. And we become sons in his sonship. I'll say it again. Now that faith has come. There's those words. Now that faith has come. Now that I have come into the faith of Jesus Christ. Baptized into his faith. Considering myself dead to having my own faith in God. But living through his faith in our Father. And finding by the Holy Spirit that faith coming alive in me. And so it can, it's how I live every day. Now that faith has come. And he says, now that faith has come. Verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, when we come to that one faith in Jesus Christ, we discover that we are one in Christ. I can be one with you when we're part of the one faith of Jesus Christ. If I'm trying to work out my own faith, and you're trying to work out your own faith, we're always going to be at odds with each other somewhere. But when my confidence before God, my faith is in the one faith of Jesus Christ. And your faith is in the one faith of Jesus Christ. Not an applausible argument, a fine-sounding argument that, that ultimately distorts the gospel. And, but in the Jesus Christ, the hope of God in me, in his kept covenant with the Father, then I'll be one with you and you'll be one with me. We will be. It's a work of the Holy Spirit, not a work of Paul, not a work of me and you. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, together, and we're finishing on this phrase, we are heirs according to the promise. Verse 29, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Come on, you and I today, we can have the promise that God gave to Abraham, that through Abraham, all nations would be blessed. Therefore, wherever I go, how I live on earth, God is looking to bring blessing to people. Bring blessing to people. All nations simply means all peoples. It doesn't mean political entities called nations. It's people groups. It's ethnicities. It's all peoples of all types. Remember, no male, no female, no Jew, no Greek, no racial distinction, no economic distinction, no genetical distinction. All people are blessed through Abraham. And now I'm part of bringing that blessing. I, I like the idea that my life is, is, can bring blessing to people. This is the promise of God on me. Not only that, he says to Abraham, look at the sky. Look up. Look around. See the stars. Look at your descendants. God wants me and you to be part of going into all the world and making disciples of all nations. So the descendants of Jesus are like the fish in the sea. They're just swarming everywhere, multiplying, not just being added to, but multiplying. How? By the work of the Holy Spirit. So I can have faith that my life will bring about um, the disciples of Jesus Christ. But, but thirdly, Abraham had faith that out of his old body could come new life. Out of his flesh life could come the spiritual promise of new life. And we can today all have faith that in our current life, 
God can bring forth his new life, new ways of thinking, new ways of feeling, new ways of doing things, new new ways of bringing forth life, new fruit of the Holy Spirit, new gifts of the Holy Spirit. New things can be happening in us and through us. Why? Because we're in the covenant. We're in Christ. We are in his faith in the Father. Now faith has come. The promises can come on me and you. And uh, I just want to conclude this morning by going back to Galatians 3.14 and reading it because we're not talking about something new here. So that in Christ, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that you and I, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. We come into Christ. We receive the promised Holy Spirit. This morning, would you, would you choose to see yourself? Say, Jesus, I trust myself into you. It's like I'm baptized into you, Jesus. I'm dared to trust in myself because I trust you. I'm dared to be trying to live by my faith because I, live, I want to live by your faith. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come into my life and begin to bring faith alive in me and begin to lead me by faith in Jesus Christ every moment of every day. And Jesus, can I be part? Can I be a blessing to people? And can I be part of seeing your gospel flow uh, to the ends of the earth from New Zealand and from Wellington and from Upper Hutt in Jesus' name? Amen. 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 Remember, faith has come. Faith has come. You don't have to find it. It's come. Step into it. His name is Jesus. Covenant has come. His name is Jesus. Step into him. And, and, and oh, just do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Live your life stepping into Jesus. Amen.